Scripture today is John 12, 27 through 36. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will be the ruler of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. The word of the Lord. More. We are taking a couple of week break from our study in Second Corinthians while we celebrate and look at Palm Sunday and, and Easter next week. Let me just say a word. One of the things that I have been so uh, thrilled about and blessed about at this church is um, our willingness to um, engage people, to be truly friendly, to talk to people. Next week's going to be a great opportunity to test that. So there will be obviously a lot of people bring family. Many of you I know will be gone and traveling, but um, it's typically a, a full Sunday. Um, but, you know, people's impressions are made very quickly and by things you might not uh, think would, and uh, simply engaging someone in conversation. I know for some of you it comes easier than others, but I would just ask you, if you're part of our body, to just think about, as people walk in the door, you don't know if they're out from out of town or struggling with something, um, but just find yourself engaging someone and just being glad they're here. Uh, you don't know what kind of difference it can make in someone's life. So just a word for that. So. Um, I don't know how many of you grew up with a Palm Sunday type of celebration, but uh, for me and, and growing up in the Episcopal Church, it was uh, very much a part of my experience and a lot of pageantry went along with that. But one of the things that's hard for whether you grew up with that or whether it was more peripheral to your life is that we don't we don't do that anymore, right? Presidents don't get inaugurated riding on donkeys, right? Down though some people might want them to, it just doesn't happen down Pennsylvania Avenue anymore, right? We do it differently. And so as we think about this image that we only sort of look at at this time of year, we need to think about what it would have meant when we read scripture, we think about what it says, what did it mean to the people who heard it? And then what does that mean to us based on that? So I want to just take a minute to remind us some of these things you've heard before probably, but what would it have meant to people in first century Judea to have this event happen? The scripture gives us some, some clarity on this. Um, so we're, we're celebrating this feast, right, of Passover, and 
the the palm trees, it says in uh, John 12, I'm going to be mainly hovering in the 12th chapter of John, uh, the, the branches of palm trees, they took this and they went out to meet him. They will go over what they said and the meaning of that in a minute. But we now have an insertion by the, the by John and the authors of this book to say uh, his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, so this is well after the event that he's describing, it's inserting this for later reading, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb, which we have recorded in John chapter 11, and raised from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they'd heard he'd done this sign. Okay, so you get that. Right before this, word had gotten out that he raised the guy from the dead. Right? That's news. That's significant. If it happened today, and there was any credible witness to that, I guarantee you we would have crowds, right, of people trying to find out, I want to see this, I want to be a part of this. And especially in a day before Internet or social media or that kind of connection, people just got out into the square, and everyone's in Jerusalem anyway, because as a practicing Jew, as an Orthodox Jew, you're required to be there for the feast. It was crowded in the city. And they'd heard that this guy was here, and they'd probably heard about his miracles. And and so this was a buzz. This was a big deal. But we also have to realize there's context for this. So that when you ride in in a kingly procession like that, this was not the first time this had ever been done. As a matter of fact, the one of the most significant events in the history of sort of Judaism as it comes up to this century is in the first century. It's during a time of the sort of silence of Scripture. But in the 150s to 140s, there was a group called the Maccabees. It's a family of people who helped liberate Jerusalem from Greek rule. After Alexander the Great, the country was divided, or the, the region that Alexander had conquered was divided into four parts. His generals each took a part. And the Seleucid Empire... Uh, ruled, which were Greeks, ruled that part of the world, Judea. And so the Maccabee family, who were Jews, freed from the rule for a brief period of time from the oppression and the taxation that was going on. And for the first time since David, they really had a national identity. They had a home. They were a people group again. We, it's hard for us to really embrace or see how significant that is. We have, there are some books written during that time. Uh, in, in, that are contained in the Apocrypha, which is sort of holy writings that are not considered divinely inspired uh, by Protestants. But the the idea in First uh, Maccabees, it's a history, and here's the verse in, in chapter 13 of First Maccabees. Simon, who was this brilliant general, one of the Maccabee brothers, um, says he entered Jerusalem with a chorus of praise and the waving of palm branches. Okay. You can't be a Jew 140 years later, 150, 60 years later, and not see the significance of someone freeing the nation and people crying out with palm branches that this warrior general, Simon Maccabee, maybe we have a reiteration, maybe we have a new rising up of someone. And so later it says in the next chapter of that book, of that history, it says, Simon, we have made you the high priest forever. 
until a faithful prophet should arise. And that's probably looking for a Messiah-type figure. So here we have a guy who's a warrior, who's freed the people, and they elevate him to the pinnacle of their religious celebration, waiting until, now he's long since dead, but they're waiting. They're waiting. And so we've got to see that hope. And now this guy who does miracles, who even raises people from the dead, is here. And then later, not at that moment, but later we find that they bring in the prophet Zechariah, one of the Old Testament prophets. And they read this verse from in verse 15. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. A donkey isn't necessarily to show humility. Donkeys weren't, they were kingly animals, not we treat them as sort of beasts of burden, but they were considered appropriate for the procession of a king. Not a warrior general, however. They would have ridden in on a horse. A king who comes in peace would ride that. And so here we have that Jesus has begun to fulfill the Old Testament prophecy. And again, they're inserting this, seeing later, oh, oh, I'm beginning to get this. This is what Jesus was doing. And so he rides in as a king of peace. And then in the preceding verse, in verse 13, two verses before, they also appropriate from the Psalms, Psalm 118 to be exact, he says, they took the palm branches and they sang this song, Hosanna, or save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Psalm 118 is a psalm that recounts a triumphal entry into Jerusalem from someone who is a victorious, both warrior and peace giver. And the people are beginning to sing those words. You know who gets it at the time? The Pharisees. While the disciples didn't get it, the Pharisees did. In Luke, it's recorded that they say, hey, you need to go to your followers and rebuke them and tell them to be quiet because they are associating you with these words from Psalms, which speaks of a, a Messiah. And remember Jesus' response? He says, it's not going to do any good for me to rebuke them because if I do, the rocks themselves will cry out. See, all creation is beginning to come together for what is going to be the pinnacle of human history. That something has come that has changed all of life. And what we're going to see is very interesting because we're going to have all the signs pointing in in one direction. So I want to keep reading now from what Bud read in uh, John chapter 12, because important words here. Jesus says, my soul is troubled. There's something about Palm Sunday that kind of troubles me, too, because I know what's coming. It It seems like happy Sunday, sad during the week, down to the low of Good Friday, happy Easter, right? That's the way I've always pictured it, right? Happy, happy, and you kind of get real mournful during the week. It's not really the way it works, right? Jesus understood on Palm Sunday that it was sort of a facade of praise. That people didn't really understand 
They didn't understand what they were asking for. They didn't understand what he was bringing, what he was trying to bring. He wasn't Simon Maccabees. He wasn't going to overthrow Rome in the way they wanted him to. He was going to overthrow far more than Rome. And so Jesus says, my soul is troubled. He takes no temporary joy in the people's praise. And then he says, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But it is for this purpose that I have come. He speaks to the intentions as he's about to enter into this valley. He, by this point, knows what's coming. It's clear. He set his face toward Jerusalem. He understands this is what God, his Father, has called him to. Though he, like most humans and in his human self, he asks, if I can avoid this, my human part would rather. But here's the point. He says these words. This is, these are really important words. Father, glorify your name. Here he is facing what is undoubtedly going to be this week of agony. And on his heart and mind is to say, Father, glorify your name. Now, what what does that mean? That's sort of holy language, right? We don't typically use the word glorify in our daily speech. At least I don't use it all the time. So what are we talking about? What, what does it mean to glorify something? So to glorify something is to present it, talk about it, Package it in a, something in a way that is appropriate for its worth. When I would receive the painting from a relative uh, of another relative of mine, I won't say who, because I'm on Facebook Live and I don't want to. I want to make sure that uh, you know nobody's offended. But I was given a, a portrait, and the portrait creeped my kids out. It was of a, of a, a relative from long ago, and just the look on the face and all that, it just, like, I wanted to give it a place of honor. I wanted to glorify this person because I wanted to hang it sort of over the mantle or in some prominent place. And my kids had a very strong negative reaction. They said, we can't do that. I won't be able to live in that room anymore because I think she's looking at me and it's going to be creepy and I just won't, I won't do that. So, so it became, so it, it now lives, no, no lie, lives sort of in my, H, I, I have this little tool, tool place in my room where the HVAC system is and it kind of hangs kind of against the back wall where nobody can see it, right? It is not glorified. Right? They did not consider it glorious. And so you glorify things, and we can argue whether it is or it isn't, but I've made it clear how I feel about it because of where I've placed it. When we glorify something, we live and talk about it in such a way, when you really believe in something or someone, you evangelize. You realize that, right? People are very sensitive these days to, don't try to convert me. Don't try to evangelize me. We evangelize all the time about things we truly believe in and care about, right? I can tell you, over the course of my life, like, uh, silly things, like this stretch wrap dispenser, I just think is the best thing ever going. For years, we used a stretch wrap. I, I probably sold, I mean, I didn't sell them, but I told people to buy them. I probably sold 50 of those things. Why? Because I was just so doggone excited about how easy this made my life. I know it seems silly, but it wasn't like I was 
grabbing people by the throat and saying, you must have a stretch trap dispenser. It's simply when they'd say, you know, gosh, that's easy. I say, yeah, it's the best thing ever. It's so cheap and it's worked so well. Right? We do that. Believe. Every one of you, when you believe in something or someone, you talk, it flows out of you. You are glorifying it. You are placing it in a frame that points to it because you're just so darn excited about it. It flows out of you, doesn't it? Maybe it's a hair product. We glorify the most inane things sometimes, like stretch trap dispensers. And so when Jesus says, Father, my concern right now is that I glorify your name, that I become the frame that when people look at me, they see you. The difficulty is we want that frame to look like um, easy street. Like, you know what I would love? To glorify Jesus best, I'd be a gazillionaire. And they'd look at me and say, wow. I want to be successful and good-looking and rich like he is. And that would glorify Jesus. Unfortunately, that is not what the Scripture says, is it? What glorifies God is a life of obedience, even to the point of death, even death on a cross from Philippians 2. And somehow, in this unimaginable way we being willing to not love our own lives but frame ourselves in saying you know what i i'm not going to do anything other than sacrifice my life for the glory of god and all of a sudden they don't see you and think oh how great you are they see jesus somehow they see god and jesus said i want to glorify your name in this lord let them see you in this. When Living Hope first started, we many of you have taken the class and we talk about just for years, it was just a few people and we sort of struggled to get anyone to come and I was depressed. I mean, I was cl- almost clinically depressed. It was just, you know, you put your work life and your ego into an event, something and it fails. It's just not that fun, right? So I went and I saw a counselor and, we uh, we talked because what had happened was my own ego had gotten wrapped up in whether the church succeeded or not, and so I finally it took you know a lot of money and a lot of time. I finally was able to sort of express that, and the the thing that came out of that was great in that I knew I finally got to the point of if the church never if it just closed down after two years with just a few people, I was okay with that. I really was. I got to the point where that was fine. And not, un, you know, not surprisingly, that's when the church actually began to grow. But the second thing that came out of that was this. I got, I got sort of concerned about another thing. That if somehow I felt better about myself because the church was growing, that that was going to be my indication that I was glorifying myself and what I was building was a frame. And believe me, there are churches churches and pastors and you who run businesses, you struggle with this all the time. If this succeeds, I'm a success. And Jesus came to say, you know what, this is backwards. 
This is not about you succeeding. This is about living a life for which we were created to demonstrate something far beyond this life. And heaven gets so excited (laughs) that a voice is heard for the third time, only three times in the Gospels, is an audible voice heard. And at that moment when He says, glorify your name, there's some sort of rumble, there's some sort of voice that people were aware of that says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Now like many things, the first time, okay, so this is our our quiz here, when were the three times the voices were heard, right? Jesus' baptism, voice is heard, says, this is my beloved son, look at Jesus. Don't look at John the Baptist, look at Jesus. This is my son. People said, I think it thundered. Right? That was the reaction early on in the gospel. That, was that Some people heard it. Some people thought it was just a noise. Second time, there's just a few people. Mount of Transfiguration. Just the three inner circle of James, John, Peter, up with Jesus. They're building, again, uh, booths to Moses and Elijah. And they say, this is my son, worship him. Let's point to Jesus. Let's glorify Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to glorify my Father. The Father says, let's honor my Son because they're one. And then this third time, He says, I've glorified it and I'll I'll do it again. Remember what the angels sang at Jesus' birth? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, peace. Riding in not on a donkey, but as a baby. Right before in John 11, we talked about Lazarus. And look at some of the wording used for that. John 11, verse 4. Jesus had heard that Lazarus was ill. And he says, this illness does not lead to death. It is for what? The glory of God to frame God because God is life, not death. Again, in verse 40, same story says, Jesus says, Did I not tell you if you believed you would see the glory of God? Life framed to point to Jesus. So sometimes the natural man can't perceive the things of God. 1 Corinthians 2. Some people say, it's thundering out. That's interesting. I don't know if it was a thundery day or not. But yeah, just, didn't you, did you hear that thunder? Somebody said, I think angel, angel spoke. To, uh, something happened. And it looks like some people actually heard a voice. It's, inter- it's very, just very interesting to me that it still happens today, I think. Sometimes we perceive, some people perceive it all naturalistic. Some people perceive God's power. I, I don't know quite how to make that comprehensible, but I think Paul's point here, um, in, uh, I mean, the, the point of the writer here is that only Jesus is going to make all this comprehensible. Because the cross is not going to be comprehensible. Because in five days, this person they're praising is going to be unrecognizable, sitting on a cross between two thieves. And people are going to say, what? What? No, this, this, this isn't right. This isn't what was supposed to happen. Yes, it was. But the script isn't written the way we would write it. 
So let's look at what Jesus says about some ways that he's going to glorify God and God will glorify him. So after he says, hey, the voice didn't come for me, I don't need to hear God speaking. I, I know what he's saying. The voice has come for your sake. Verse 31 of John 12, now is the judgment of the world. First way, he'll be glorified. Well, really the second. The first way we've been talking about by obedience. We frame Jesus by being obedient to him and his word, and people see Christ. Second, he says by judgment, the judgment of the world. So let's go back, let's get a little bit of a, a sense, because judgment's not a particularly uh, loved word these days, but we all do love judgment. We want it to be right judgment, though. So uh, John five twenty-two. John chapter 5, verse 22, says this, The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor, glorify the Son, just as they honor or glorify the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. So Jesus holds in his hands judgment that all of us, that every human being falls under and says you can pass right out from under it if you believe in me. I know it seems incomprehensible, but that's the gospel. Let's go back to John 12. So the second way that, I, that God is going to be glorified, that you will see God at this time, because he's going to take that judgment on himself here in a few days. But then he says, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. I, I read that and I say, really? Because I think he's pretty alive and well. I look around and I see the devil's handiwork in a lot of places. How'd you cast him out, Lord? What'd you do to glorify yourself? Well, really, the only true weapon Satan has is unforgiven sin. Everything else is mirage. Everything else is facade. It can get us all worried and upset. But the only real ultimate power Satan has over us is unforgiven sin. That if he can condemn you and speak condemnation, that you're unlovable, unforgivable, whatever you've done, that truly is satanic in, in that sense. And Jesus came and he, he's about to strip him of that power by receiving that unforgiven sin upon himself. So he's going to cast out the ruler of this world. Now he's not ultimately cast out. I mean, he's not done yet. That's coming. But he's going to defang him, as it were. For the believer who walks in the power of the Holy Spirit, who knows the word, the devil's defanged. doesn't mean he doesn't have influence. It just means he can't speak the word of condemnation to you if you know the scripture and say there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set me free. Okay. Finally, how is he going to glorify God? during this week and, and this day and coming next weekend as we celebrate Good Friday and then Easter. 
He says in verse 32, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And then another insertion commentary, he says, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. We used to sing this song when I was in the 19, I guess, 70s or some time long ago. You know, lift Jesus higher, if you know, remember that song. And you know, I always had this sense when I was singing that song, that we were sort of putting him on our shoulders. We were sort of hauling him around like he's a jolly good fellow. Or like, if you're really old, you remember ticker tape parades in New York, and we raised people up into the back of these, you know, vehicles, and we'd raise them up. And we'd say, oh, I just praise you, Lord, because, you know, now we can see you better because you're lifted up. We lift Jesus higher when we raise a cross. And that's offensive. It was offensive then because it was Roman death. And it's offensive now. Believe me, if you don't think so, just start talking about Jesus Christ being the only way to heaven and being lifted on a cross. And and you're going to get a thousand people telling you how awful and sadistic and whatever. I mean, it's the cross. We knew from the start it was an offense. Just read 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. But Jesus says, if you lift me up, if you proclaim me crucified, died, risen again, ascended, glorified in a new body, still human, but in a glorified body, he said, I will draw people to myself. I don't know what it is because it doesn't make sense to me. Like I look at that and I think that is not the PR marketing campaign I would use to draw people. But somehow for those who know they need Jesus, for those who need a Savior, for those who know I can't do this, life is overwhelming me. If someone would take my pain, if someone would take the death that somehow I know I deserve, I'm not okay. You're not okay. Something is wrong in this world. Just look outside. Just turn on the news if you can stand it for two minutes. Something is wrong. And the human heart, being wicked and deceitful above all else, cries out for someone who has an answer. And and Jesus finally says this, I'll glorify God by making you children of light. Go back to John 12, and we'll just read that last verse. In that section, he says, the light is among you, talking about himself for a little while longer. Walk while you have this light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. Verse 36, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become children or sons of light. So the answer is in a a world of darkness, in a world of pain, in a world of hurt, we're called to be children of light, to be filled with the light as we walk with Jesus and to then reflect that. And Palm Sunday becomes this entry point where Jesus identifies what's truly wrong with us and in our world and says something new is coming. The King has come. The King is here. A new kingdom has arrived. And for those who don't hear thunder, but hear the voice of the Lord, come. Come. Lift Jesus higher. Let Him draw all men to Himself. Would you pray with me, please?
Lord, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You for what it speaks to us, the depth both of human depravity, but also of the possibility of life that goes far beyond what we could imagine or conceive. Lord, to be able to walk with the Eternal, to know in some small way the God-man, that we know the Eternal God through His Son, We thank You that You are willing to be lifted up to suffer on our behalf to glorify Your Father. And then the Father turning and pointing us to glorify the Son. Lord, let us be children of light that we become like a neon sign. Lord, that light rings us that when we flash, it's Jesus Christ that people see.